Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Jenny and I uh, went to Nyack College in the late 90s. Um, and one of the things that I looked forward to the most was uh, chapel service. Now that sounds right, right? The pastor should, of course, look forward to chapel service. But I wasn't a pastor then. But I was still a fairly new Christian when I went off to Bible college. And I was excited to just absorb like a sponge any biblical teaching, any good, any good speaking, anything that would help me to form my Christian understanding and my Christian worldview. I loved it. Of course, it didn't hurt the fact that I, was, I knew I was going into ministry, and so therefore, of course, I wanted to, to hear how the gospel was presented in different ways, uh, the ways in which these preachers that came through our chapel services crafted their messages so that we could understand and benefit from them. I love chapel. Chapel was a fun time. But I have to tell you that while I remember several good chapel speakers and several good messages from those times, there was one infamous one, one that will always stand out in my mind and not for any good reason. In fact, I have dubbed this the worst chapel statement ever made because the, the preacher who came in had a good message. He had good intentions. He had a good biblical understanding. Uh, of what he was trying to say and the encouragement, the exhortation that he was given was an important one. But his little cliche, his little phrase, which he found every possible opportunity to stick into the service, rubbed me wrong and irritated me to no end every time he said it. Here's what he said. Be Jesus with skin on him. Be Jesus with skin on him. If you don't know why that bothers me, I'm going to enlighten you. Because if we believe, as we just celebrated a few weeks back, that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, guess what? Jesus has skin on him. And so it bothered me every time, and there must have been at least 20 times this chapel speaker kept exhorting us, be Jesus with skin on him. And that just bothered me. Perhaps maybe if he wanted to use a nice colorful metaphor, he should have said, you know, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yes, Jesus has hands and feet, but we get it. It's a metaphor. But Jesus also has skin. But his message was good, despite the phrase that kept bothering me, irritating me so much that, what is it, Jenny, 20 years later? I am still reiterating it to everybody else. I will remember that to the day I die. But here's his message. Here's the heart of what he was trying to say. And it's a good message. Here's what he was saying. Be the living example of Jesus to others. In other words, as we bring the gospel, don't just bring words, don't bring empty words, don't bring words that can't be substantiated, right? But put it on display. Proclaim the gospel, but make sure that your life and what you're mirroring to the world is demonstrating the truth of what you're proclaiming. It is not standing opposed to that, because I think we could all think of numerous examples of people who say one thing and live completely differently. And instead, God calls us to not only proclaim the gospel, but put it on display. I'm encouraged as we go through the book of Acts, we see so many wonderful examples of people doing just that. People not only proclaiming the gospel as God is building up his kingdom through his church, but they're also putting Jesus 
on display. And of course, one of those examples that we're going to see today is the Apostle Peter. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be starting in verse 32 today. Uh, So we have taken a little detour over the last couple weeks or last couple uh, visits in the book of Acts. Uh, Luke was writing and then gave Paul's story and his transformation in the beginning of his ministry, and he's going to circle back to him, but right now he's zeroing in on a very profound, a very important, a very significant moment, a turning point, if you will, in the church, which we'll see more exclusively next week. Uh, But today we're starting again with Peter's story, one of the apostles, one who walked with Jesus, and we're in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32. Here's what the text says. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the, window, oh, I'm sorry, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is another powerful story, another miraculous tale, looking at these these incredible things that God was able to do through his apostles. We see so many of these that perhaps at this point, at chapter 9, we might get numb to them. We might just expect these things. We might forget to look and understand the significance of why Luke is including them in the book of Acts. And I think it's really, really important that we draw out some things here. In fact, I want to draw out three important aspects of Peter's ministry here that ought to inform how we live as living examples of Jesus, even in our context today. And so the first one of those is this, that we, that all Christians, the ones 2,000 years ago we're reading about in us today and any ones that come in the future before Jesus returns, all Christians need to do as Jesus did. Need to do as Jesus did. And so here in these two miracle stories, these two healings, these two dramatic Uh, works that God enabled Peter to do. We see Aeneas and Tabitha. And interesting, I don't know if you caught this as we were reading these two things, these two uh, accounts, but they mirror very closely two of the miracles that Jesus did 
during his earthly ministry. I don't think that's by accident. I don't think it's just, hmm, there's some subtle similarities here. I think that both the actions that Peter took as well as Luke's understanding of the importance to record them, I think it was exactly because it mirrored what Jesus did. I'll give you some examples. If you remember back from Mark chapter 2 and in some of the parallel accounts, uh, Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. In fact, this is one of the stories that many people remember uh, more than others because of how dramatic the account was. If you remember, Jesus was teaching in a particular home, and there were so many people inside the home that these men who came with their paralyzed friend could not get him in the door to see Jesus. So what did they do? They climbed up on top of the house, started digging through the roof, and lowered their friend on a mat to Jesus right in front of him. Now, we don't see anything in that biblical account of the homeowner screaming and being angry at the situation, although I'm sure that all of us would if our roof was torn apart. But how amazing what happened. Jesus forgave that man of his sins. He, said, he healed him. He said, get up, take your mat, and walk. I want you to hear this again. Paralyzed man. Jesus healed him. He says, take up your mat, and then all the people come to believe. Now look at what just happened in Acts chapter 9. As Peter now, in the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, an apostle of the Lord, goes out, and here's what we read in chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. It says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a paralyzed man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What do we see? The same thing. A paralyzed man. Jesus healed. Roll up your mat and people come to believe. We also see going on another miracle that we see here uh, mirrors Jesus's miracle explicitly. I want to read you Jesus's account of this second miracle. This is from Luke chapter 8. This is really up on the screen for you. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus a synagogue leader came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I want you to catch these key ingredients in this particular passage. A girl was dead. Everyone was crying. Jesus told the girl to get up. Jesus took her by the hand, and she stood up alive. 
And what do we see in Peter's encounter here in Acts chapter 9? As he goes to Joppa, as he sees Tabitha lying dead on the bed, we see the same thing. A woman was dead. Everyone was crying. Peter told her to get up. He took her by the hand, and she stood up alive. And so in quite direct and dramatic ways, Peter did exactly as Jesus did. Christ's followers are called to do what Jesus did. We were talking earlier about discipleship. We've got a new discipleship program coming this fall. And what is discipleship? Discipleship is not just about learning, although disciples are lifelong learners. Disciples are also those who, mo- who pattern their life after the model of their master. And so Jesus' disciples commit their lives to doing what Jesus did. And so it wasn't just Peter's responsibility as an apostle to do what Jesus did, but every disciple, every Christ follower for all times, it is our responsibility to also do what Jesus did. We see Jesus' own words on this in John 14, 12. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And we've seen this. As we've gone through Acts, we've seen this over and over again. We've seen this and even remarked on it as the apostles were standing in the temple courts proclaiming the gospel of the Lord, as they were doing miracles, as they were healing people and continuing to commit themselves to the things that Jesus himself did during his earthly ministry. We remarked on this as Stephen was identified, raised up as a leader, and then went out and was doing the exact same things that Jesus had done. We see this in, in, a little later on in Philip, that he too committed himself to doing the exact same things that Jesus did, and now we see specifically Peter. And we too, as Christ followers, are called to do what Jesus did. So here's the real question. In what ways can we do what Jesus did? What are some real ways? What are some practical ways? What are ways that we could put into effect as soon as we walk out of here today? What are some things that we can do to do what Jesus did? Well, first of all, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of God? Jesus' number one message while on the earth was this, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was proclaiming this so that people would align their hearts with God, that they would repent of their sins and turn to God, that they might be prepared when God's kingdom arrived. Is that not the exact same thing that he has commissioned his followers to do now? To proclaim the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross to atone for sins, that he raised him to new life to secure our right standing before God, And that he gives this as a free gift of grace to all who would receive it so that they might be ready when Jesus returns and God's kingdom comes. And so we need to be ambassadors of the kingdom. We need to be proclaimers of that same message of the kingdom of God. So to whom should we proclaim it? Well, I think all of us have family members who don't know the Lord or who have grown very distant to the Lord. We all have friends. We all have neighbors. We all have co-workers. And whether or not we have those relationships and could easily identify those that are far from the Lord, we are called, just as we see Peter and others doing, 
to build new relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel and bringing people into the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus also demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God. He didn't just proclaim it, but he demonstrated it. So how do we do this with the people around us? How do we demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God? Well, for for starters, we should not be Jesus with skin on him, but we should definitely make sure that our lives match our message. We need to demonstrate compassion to those around us, especially in days like this. It becomes compassion is a is in short supply these days as people have just become very raw over everything. And people also have have endured so much, especially in these last two years. Like a little bit of compassion goes a long way. We see Jesus demonstrating compassion throughout his ministry. We see the same of the apostles, and we are called to the same. We need to look for every opportunity to put Christ on display. And we need to love each other in the church, and we need to love the world. And sometimes both of those categories are hard. But guess what? Jesus did it, and he calls us to it as well. We need to do as Jesus did. Here's the second thing that we could see in Peter's example, that we need to advance the gospel. We are called to advance the gospel. Some interesting observations about Peter so far, if you remember back in what we've looked at throughout the book of Acts, up to this point, Jerusalem has been Peter's base of operation. That's where he started. That's where Jesus died. That's where Jesus rose. That's where Jesus ascended. That's where Peter started out in the proclamation of the gospel among, with the rest of the apostles, right at the temple, in fact. And persecution broke out, and Christians have gone forward as God has called them to go forward. And yet, even so, we don't really see Peter leaving Jerusalem. In fact, there was only one point we see that so far in the book of Acts, and that's at when Philip had led a great number of the Samaritans to faith in Christ. And so Peter and some of the other apostles went to tend to those people who just came to be, uh, faith in Christ. But again, there, his home base has been Jerusalem. And now we see Peter traveling. Traveling, in fact, not to Jewish areas like Jerusalem was, those comfortable areas, but now traveling to Gentile areas, to those areas where the vast majority of the people who lived there were distinctly different than him, that didn't perhaps like Jewish people, that didn't follow the same laws, that didn't worship the same God, and now he's traveling to regions there. In fact, he wasn't the only one, but we see that he's going to meet with Jewish believers in these Gentile areas, and so the gospel has already spread, has advanced to these different regions beyond just where the Jews were. And so he's meeting with Gentile, in the Gentile areas with Jewish believers in Jesus And if you remember, the gospel was supposed to advance to those places and beyond them. In fact, the gospel was intended to advance on a specific trajectory, which Jesus laid out for his disciples in Acts 1.8. He said this, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so now the gospel is well on its way by the time we read about these events here. And Peter's apostolic engagement is now beyond Jerusalem. And this is evidence that the gospel is advancing. And so now Christian communities exist in these Gentile areas. 
We need to understand that it wasn't just for Peter. It wasn't just for the first Christians, but for all of Christ's followers, for all times until he comes again, we are called and we are commissioned to advance the gospel across the entire world. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The gospel is to be taken to all nations. Christians are to make disciples of all nations. So what about us? What about us? Where? To where can we advance the gospel? I want to give you three categories of thought here. The first is locally, and that's the one we should be most heavily engaged in because this is where God has placed us. This is the context where we find ourselves. So what does it look like to advance the gospel locally right here in our midst? These are just some suggestions that I have seen people live out recently, and, in, and God has done a profound things through their willingness to serve. Have a non-Christian person, a couple, a family over to your house for dinner and create opportunities to share the gospel while you're there. Invite a non-Christian co-worker out to, uh, or a friend out to lunch and create an opportunity to share the gospel. Volunteer perhaps at Lighthouse Cafe or one of the other, number of other good ministries doing work in our community and, and sit down with some of the men and women there and create opportunities to share the gospel. Did you catch something I said three times? Create opportunities to share the gospel. Here's what I hear often from Christians, if I'm being perfectly honest. I'm waiting for God to provide an opportunity to share the gospel. I'm waiting for God to tell me who I should and when I should share the gospel. Hey, I prayed this morning, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. That is not demonstrated anywhere in this book. Instead, what we see is God's people obedient to the call, obedient to the commission, creating opportunities to share the gospel. So we need to do that locally. That's where we are. That's the easiest one for us. That's the low-hanging fruit because we are here and we can invest in relationships, gospel-centered relationships here. We should also think about doing it regionally. What does that look like to do it regionally beyond just the very local? Well, there's many organizations already doing good work and we need to get involved perhaps with some of them. Do prison ministry, create opportunities to share the gospel there. Partner with groups that do evangelism in different areas. Uh, Jews for Jesus and Chosen People Ministries do work in Miami among Jewish people. Recovery Church has numerous locations in South Florida doing work among those who are suffering from drug and alcohol addiction. Um, the Gideons do blitzes and Bible distribution. You probably have to be a Gideon about that. I don't know, you have to talk with John. But there are opportunities to partner regionally with people who are already doing good work and have an opportunity for you to get plugged in and create those opportunities to share the gospel. We also need to look at it internationally. How do we take the gospel to the ends of the earth as Jesus commissions us? What does that look like? Well, if you were here yesterday for our ladies' brunch, you heard from a woman, no different than any of us, not superhero, 
but a person who God called and provided an opportunity to go on a short-term short missions trip. And guess what? She did that and had a wonderful story of how God used her and those who went with her to expand the gospel, to advance the gospel. We need to financially support those missionaries who are called to go to places we can't go to, right? We could go on a short-term mission trip, but we may not be called to be long-term missionaries. And yet God has called certain people to that, and he asked the entire church to support them in their calling. And we can definitely build missions awareness here now, like our ladies group, our Alliance women have been doing. We need to do that as well, getting more people to rally behind the, behind the spread of the gospel around the world. Christians are called to advance the gospel. Here's the last thing that I see modeled in Peter here that is important for us too. This is going to be the hardest one because it's the thing that doesn't come easily. But we are called to love the detested and the marginalized. We are called to love the detested and the marginalized. Now, these are not detested by God. These are not marginalized by God. But there are people in our society that are either hated unnecessarily by other people or are just naturally marginalized in uh, the way that society works. And this might not seem very obvious in the text, but there's a couple things I want to draw out for you. The first is this, that Peter went to a Gentile region. Both Lydda and Joppa are both Gentile areas. Now that might not seem significant because I'm guessing that aside from me and my family, everybody here is a Gentile. But remember where we were here with Peter and the first Christians in Jerusalem, all Jewish believers in Jesus, never even wrapped their mind around those who are non-Jewish receiving Christ and the Holy Spirit and the same status as them until God broke through and demonstrated what he was doing, reconciling all people to himself. And so this Jewish person stepping out in ministry to this Gentile area is obviously going to those who were detested and marginalized by the Jewish community of the time. His first healing in this passage is of a paralyzed man. Now, guess what? Those who suffer from disabilities in our context, in our culture, in our day, are also among the marginalized. And you know what? The same was true 2,000 years ago in Israel as well. And yet we see Peter's compassion and Peter's healing of this man. And the part that we probably laugh at when we read at the end, or just skips over us, or we have no idea what is meant by this, is Simon the Tanner. At the end of this whole uh, event that we're reading about here, Peter is staying in the home of Simon the Tanner, and you might think, wow, that's awesome. I didn't know they had UV lights in these, in these little beds back then. That's not how they did that. Um, man, Peter was working on his tan, so he stayed with Peter the uh, Simon the Tanner. No, that's not what happened. Um, but here's the thing about tanners in those days. They were despised by the Jewish people. In fact, in the Mishnah and other Jewish sources from those time periods, uh, over and over again, we see that those who were tanners uh, had, uh, were looked down upon by the Jewish people. In the Mishnah, they're grouped together with those who have boils and those who collect dog feces. Either one of those sounds fun. They are looked down upon because of their, their work involved a bad smell. So they're the smelly people. And they were often suspected of immorality. 
And yet, despite these things, we see Peter staying with a tanner. And so during his ministry, guess what? Jesus also loved the detested and the marginalized. He healed the leper. He took a tax collector as one of his closest disciples. In fact, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He forgave the woman who was caught in adultery. He healed the sick and the demon-possessed. He fed the poor and he encouraged others to do the same. And guess what? Christians are called to do as Jesus did. And that includes loving the detested and the marginalized in our culture. Interestingly, these were the ones who were also the most willing to receive the good news. And we may find the same in our context today, if only we would reach out to them. So who are the detested and the marginalized in our society? That is a long, long list. In fact, I didn't even have those who suffer from disabilities on my list. I didn't have those who, have, who are struggling with mental disease, mental illness, uh, and those are certainly among those in our society. Immigrants and those whose primary language is not English are often detested and or marginalized in our culture. The poor, the young, the old. I mean, we could just sit here and make a list all day. In fact, here's a test. Anyone who you would be naturally uncomfortable with, spending time with, right, is probably uh, among the marginalized or the detested by people who you would be comfortable spending time with. I'll say that again. People who you're naturally uncomfortable, for whatever reason, spending time with are probably those that fit into this category, at least among those who you feel comfortable with. And so at least among your demographic, whatever that is, whatever we're talking about, uh, those would probably be in this category. Conversely, all people tend to be most uncomfortable around people who, I'm sorry, all people tend to be most comfortable around people who look like them, think like them, act like them, right? Those are the people we're comfortable with, but we're most uncomfortable around people who don't look like us, don't think like us, don't act like us. And Jesus was willing to bridge this gap. And we have to be willing to bridge this gap as well. So please don't be Jesus with skin on him because Jesus had skin on him. Please don't ever say that to me. You'll be asked to leave the church forever. No, I'm just kidding. For some of you that might be welcome. No, I'm just kidding. But please be a living example of Jesus to others. As we bring the gospel, please, please don't just use words, but put it on display. This is what we're called to as Christ followers. We need to do as Jesus did. We need to advance the gospel. And we need to love the detested and the marginalized for the glory of God and for the salvation of the lost. This is what we're called to.